Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. You know what Christy Mathewson wasn't worried about? S-I-E-R-A. When you're thinking about Pedro Siriaco, I mean, the only one that can compete is maybe uh, Hannes Wagner's 1908 season. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. Like, if we just clip together every time we've talked about him on other people's profiles, we've done a Mickey Cochran episode. I can't get past Rabbit Marinville. It's it's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball Tuesdays and Thursdays. I am your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm going to try not to get emotional uh, this week and next week on the History Show because this is our swan song, but I'm ready to enjoy the ride one last time. Yeah, 29 players down, and this is the last one. And, you know, next week, you know, we have 29 teams down as well. Next week will be the last one of that, and then the season will start. Wow. Uh, that's why That's why the season seems somewhat fast approaching because we've just done so much in the offseason. We have. I mean, like we, t- I mean, what we did 15 separate history episodes, 15 separate teams, 15 separate players, at least by the end of it, we did 10 hall of fame breakdowns. We did a hall of fame live reaction. We've done numerous news shows, previews. We've done basically everything this off season. And yeah, we- you know, we're a-, a week today is opening day. Yeah. We're, we're almost at like 40 off season episodes. Cause the, uh, the first off season episode was 66 Wow. Number 66. And we're at 105 now. So yeah, this will be our 40th off season episode. So, yeah, we've, we've done a lot in the off season. So it doesn't even seem like there hasn't been baseball around because it's all. And not only that, but like we started, we revamped history pretty much very soon after the world series ended. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Cause we, the world series ended days before we all had to go home from college. Yeah, it, it ended on a Tuesday, and then we recorded the first off-season episode, I think, on a Monday, and then we yep. picked for the next week uh, that Monday. Yeah, so, I mean, we were and we were planning on starting it after Thanksgiving, but we got removed from our college a little sooner than we were expecting, so we were like, all right, let's just do it now. Yeah, and it worked out for the best. It did. Because uh, then we were, we were able to... Uh, you know, spread out the history episodes so that we were able to have more time to do the last four when we were at school. Cause I think only we, I think that we we're, we are going to have done eight episodes of history from college out yep. of the whole series. Yep. Yeah. That's obviously a lot of time on our hands to begin with. And then these history episodes, man, they take, people don't realize how much research they take. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's a long time. We're going to, uh, put together after next episode we're gonna put together a google doc combine combining all the prep sheets oh god and i would imagine it's gonna be between like 600 and 800 pages yeah yeah it's, it'll be oh, that's just, <laughs> that's so much it'll be great but yeah they take a lot um and it'll be nice when it's over and you know it it was a uh an idea built in quarantine and you know hopefully you know at the end of the history series we'll be a month or two away from being you know out of whatever this is so i guess that's the 
the uh, silver lining you can put to all of this. But back now to the subject at hand. Uh, the first pitcher we're talking about who played in the dead ball era, Walter Johnson. <laughs> all right. The first pitcher of the dead ball era. I can't wait for how many more. <laughs> yeah, we got a we got a long list after him. <laughs> uh, he grew up. So growing up, he was born in Allen County, Kansas. Uh, he grew up working on a 160 acre farm. And at the turn of the century, his family stopped working on the farm due to droughts. Uh, and they briefly moved to Humboldt, Kansas after this, then moved to California to work in oil companies as there was a big uh, oil craze happening in California in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And when he was 16, he finally had his first experience with organized baseball where he played for a Sandlot team. And his six foot one uh, six foot one stature and strong frame that was built from farming and working in the oil fields helped him out on the baseball fields, you know, making him a, a strong specimen to throw baseballs. And soon enough, he played for a semi-pro team sponsored by the local oil company in California. And he was impressive enough for a reporter to say, quote, Johnson was presented as a high school kid but he is certainly a graduate in the science of delivering the ball, unquote. And when the semi-pro team was in their offseason, unorganized baseball was still going on, as, you know, California uh, has the weather where you are able to do that. And some of the rosters of these teams had minor league and major league players who were looking for extra money in their offseason. And Walter Johnson played in these unorganized games for three years, and the increase in competition helped him build his craft. And Johnson believed his talent, despite, you know, building his craft through playing against these minor and major leaguers in this uh, unorganized form, Johnson believed his talent was largely God-given. He said, quote, from the time I, from the time I held a ball, it settled in the palm of my hand uh, it settled in the palm of my right hand as though it belonged there. And when I threw it, ball, hand, and wrist, and arm and shoulder, and back seemed to all work together, unquote. And in April of 1906, a former teammate of his arranged a grouping of Walter Johnson and a Tacoma, uh, a Tacoma team in the Northwestern League. Uh, unfortunately, he was released by Tacoma after one ex exhibition game. And now Tacoma will never recover from that one. Oh my God. Yeah. They, uh, they really, that's like, uh, you know, the, the, the Expos trading Randy Johnson. Yeah. They had no idea what they missed out on. Yeah. Like one, one game, he, he didn't want to give him a shot after that. I mean, come on, but you know, like Randy Johnson found a quality home in Seattle, uh, <laughs> Walter Johnson found a quality home for a couple years in the city of Weiser, Idaho. And this is actually pretty funny for us too, because, you know, the sports journalism main building or the main building where the best sports journalism stuff is happening on Springfield college is in a, is in a building called Weiser hall. So it's pretty funny that uh, Walter Johnson was playing 
professional baseball in a town called Wiser, Idaho. That is also my current location. Yeah, literally Daniel is right there. Yep. Wiser Hall. So we we already love Walter Johnson for being a, a legend of Wiser, Idaho. Uh, uh, from one le- from two legends of Wiser to one other. Yes, a tribute to him. So after him getting released by Tacoma, uh, a different ex-teammate of Johnson's recommended him to a Southern Idaho League, Southern Idaho League team in Wiser, Idaho. And in that city, he was paid $90 a week to quote unquote, work for a telephone company. But that $90 a week was actually going, uh, was actually going to him for playing baseball. And in 1906, he put together a 7-1 record for Weiser before going back to California. And in 1907, uh, he earned the nickname the Weiser Wonder from his spectacular performance that year. In 146 innings pitched with Idaho, or with Weiser, I guess, he allowed nine earned runs in 146 innings pitched and struck out 214 batters, which is 13.2 strikeouts per nine in you know, 1907. He made a he might have had a lower FIP. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, 0.55 ERA, negative FIP, probably. <laughs> he also put together 77 consecutive scoreless innings and back-to-back no hitters at one point. Back-to-back no hitters. Uh, you know, only one guy in the MLB has done that, but Walter Johnson did it in the Southern Idaho League. People forget. And this attracted major league attention. Obviously, 77 scoreless innings is going to do it for you, as there were telegrams being sent to the Washington Senators about this pitcher. And that manager sent one of his injured catchers to Idaho in order to recruit Johnson. And Johnson actually demanded the Senators buy him a train ticket back home in case his stay with the Senators didn't work out. And he also uh, wanted to call his parents for their permission for his signing. You know, this was a 19-year-old kid. Also, he had been released by one team after one game, so, you know, he didn't want to risk traveling cross-country just for him to get the axe once again. And this is a quote from Society for American Baseball Research. It says, quote, On July 22, 1907, a large crowd came to Wiser Depot to see him off. As Johnson said goodbye to his pals, there were tears in his eyes. A group of appreciative Wiser fans had tried to convince him to stay, offering, offering to set him up with a cigar store on the town square. Johnson thanked them, but declined the offer. Quote, you know how you are at 19, he said. He explained later, you want to see things, unquote. So uh, the, the town of Wiser was really into uh, Walter Johnson. They wanted him to stay, but... Walter decided he was going to go into the MLB and, you know, starting out in the MLB, he went to a very poor franchise and he was just kind of a diamond in the rough there. So that's what we're going to get into right here. So in 1907, Walter Johnson made his MLB debut with the Washington Senators on August 2nd, 1907. He was just 19 years and 269 days old when this happened and he did all right. He allowed two runs in eight innings on a loss. So, you know, on paper, the loss isn't good. But in reality, he didn't pitch too bad. He ended up making 12 starts that year in 14 total appearances. And he ended up with a 1.88 ERA, a 1.61 FIP, 
129 ERA plus in just 110.1 innings pitched. And his 1907 remains the only season by a pitcher in their age 19 season or younger with 70 plus strikeouts, 20 or fewer walks, and less than 100 hits allowed. And his FIP from that season, which was a 1.61, remains the lowest by a pitcher in their age 19 season or younger with 100 plus innings pitched. Unfortunately, the Senators weren't able to back his success. They went 49-102 and on the season, finishing dead last in the American League. So on to 1908, which uh, was the season of one legend that, uh, that we love who had a spectacular season over in the National League. Yeah, he did. Uh, this he had a 205 OPS plus. Yeah, but, you know, this was the year of the pitcher. You know, Ola... <laughs> That shortstop in Pittsburgh was just refusing to abide by that fact. The original, oh, I guess not the original year of the pitcher, but it's the yeah. one before the actual one. One of the one of the OGs. The you know the other one is 1884, but yes, yes. Uh, Johnson in 1908 put up a 1.65 ERA, 1.60 FIP, and 138 ERA plus in 256 and a third innings pitched. He finished fifth in ERA, fifth in ERA plus, and fourth in fielding independent pitching and he finished fifth uh finished sixth in b war and seventh in f war and his fip remains the lowest in a qualifying season by a pitcher in their age 20 season or younger How about that? and it is his 1908 his 1908 is the only season in baseball history with 150 plus strikeouts less than 60 walks and zero home runs allowed How about that? and the senators uh, improved, I guess. Uh, they went 67 and 85 and finished seventh in the American League out of eight. So now it is 1909. And before the end of the decade, Walter Johnson put up a 2.22 ERA, a 2.16 FIP, which is uh, very off from his normal FIP. You know, in 1907, it was a 161, 1908, it was a 160. So he did not follow the trend and put up a 1.59 FIP, unfortunately, but he did put up 111 ERA plus in 296 and a third innings pitch. That put him third in the league in innings pitch at just age 21. And he finished 10th in B-War and 9th in F-War. But the Senators took a massive step back. They went 42 and 110, finishing last once again in the American League. So now we're in 1910, which is the first uh, of Walter Johnson's many unbelievable seasons uh, in the one of the first seasons of Walter J. Because Johnson. his one six oh fifth wasn't that unbelievable. Yeah, you know, this was this was the dead ball era uh, after all. Yeah. So in nineteen ten, Walter Johnson finished third in ERA with a one three six, which is just a hilarious statement to say, mm-hmm. uh, and second in ERA plus with a one eighty three, and he led the league in innings pitched with three hundred seventy, complete games with thirty eight. Strikeouts with 313, strikeouts per nine with 7.6, and FIP with a 1.38. And he finished third in B-War and led the league in F-War. And it is the only season in baseball history with 350-plus innings pitched, 7.5-plus strikeouts per nine, less than two walks per nine, and less than seven hits per nine. And it is also the only season in baseball history with 350-plus innings pitched, 7.5 plus strikeouts per nine and less than a 0.95 whip. How about that? 
his 1910 is also the only season in baseball history with 350 plus innings pitch 310 plus strikeouts and less than 60 earned runs allowed How about that? and lastly it is the only qualifying season in baseball history you know not a not a crazy mark for for uh innings to be required here he only needed 154 innings to get a qualifying season and it is the only qualifying season in baseball history with an era of less than 1.4 and a fip of less than 1.4 so obviously this was a historic season and the senators meanwhile went 66 and 85 and finished seventh in the american league so walter johnson is just really the only guy there making a difference and some of that would stay the same in 1911 he finished third in innings pitch with a three with 322 and a third, third and fifth with a 253, and second in ERA with a 1-9. He also finished second in ERA plus with a 173. And he led the league in complete games with 36 and shutouts with six. And he finished third in, in wins above replacement on both sites. And in the inaugural season of the most valuable player award, Johnson finished fifth in the MVP vote. Uh, the Senators continued to struggle. They went 64 and 90 and finished seventh in the American League. But we're going to talk about the now four year run of the dead ball era that Walter Johnson and the Senators had between 1912 and 1915, because things were a bit different there, uh, more specifically for the Senators, because Johnson was dealing before and he was dealing after. So in 1912, the year the Titanic sunk, he finished second in innings pitched with 369 led the league in hits per nine with 6.3, strikeouts with 303, Ks per nine with 7.4, whip with an 091, K to walk ratio with four, FIP with a 2.03, ERA with a 1.39, and ERA plus with a 2.43. He led the league in wins above replacement on both sites. And with the bat, he uh, hit 264 with a 701 OPS, and hit as many home runs as he allowed, which was two. He finished third in the MVP vote, and his 1910 and 1912 seasons are the only in the modern era, that is since 1900, with 350-plus innings pitch, seven-plus Ks per nine, and less than two walks per nine. His 1912 is the most B-war in a season by a pitcher in their age 24 season or younger in the modern era. His 1912, oh no, it is the only season in baseball history with 350 plus innings pitched and an ERA plus over 225. And Walter Johnson remains the only pitcher in baseball history with multiple seasons of 350 plus innings pitched and seven plus Ks per nine through his age 24 season. And the Senators were getting there. They finished 91 and 61 on the season, getting them second in the American League. So now we get into a an extremely special season. This is one this is one where you gotta where you gotta bring out all the all the stats, you know. Just for context before we started, Chris texted me a couple of days ago and said we could do a two-part episode just on his 1913. Yeah, it's uh it's quite unbelievable. And fittingly enough, this is when uh this is the uh, official beginning of the earned run official era where the earned run uh, became an official stat, but you didn't have to worry about counting many of those when you were talking about Walter Johnson in 1913. I can assure you that it was a, 
man, what a what an absolute season this year. And by the way, he's doing this. This is his age 25 season. He's still got a lot ahead of him. So Walter Johnson in 1913, he allowed a run in his first inning of the season, then did not allow a run for his next 55 innings. So came close to uh, what would soon be, or what would later be Oral Hershiser's record mark of 59. Well, to be fair, it was broken by Don Sutton first. Uh, or was it Don Sutton or Don Drysdale? Uh, it was Drysdale. No, wait, I think it was Sutton. It was a Dodger named Don. Yeah. It was originally broken by a, a Dodger named Don. Uh, but yeah, Walter Johnson, 55 inning scoreless streak. Please hold. Uh, after allowing a run in the first inning of... Uh, it was it was Drysdale, okay. Of the 1913 season. It's easy Sutton to get had, Sutton had a 35 scoreless inning streak. Yeah, that's uh, quite a quite a bit there. So during Johnson's seven game scoreless streak, he had a 2.98 OPS against, 37 strikeouts, and five walks. It took Johnson 12 appearances, uh, and that's eight starts for him to get his first loss. He started out the season 10 and 0. Also, it took 15 appearances, which was 11 starts, for his ERA to get above one just one and from his from june 27th on he went 21 and 2 with a 0.97 era in 195 and a third innings pitch unbelievable and he ended up leading the league in wins with 36 winning percentage with 837 innings pitch with 346 complete games with 29 shutouts with 11 walks per nine with 1.0 Hits per nine with 6.0. Strikeouts with 243. Strikeouts per nine with 6.3. Whip with a 0.78. Strikeout to walk ratio with 6.4. FIP with 1.90. ERA with a 1.14. And ERA plus with a 259. ERA plus 159% better than the average pitcher in 1913. In a pitcher's era where it's hard to be better than the average pitcher because pitchers are dominating. Walter Johnson still found a way. And all because of this, he led the league in both B-War and F-War. No pitcher in Major League Baseball was within six B-War. Six B-War. That's like an all-star season. That's, you know, getting Cy Young votes type seasons. In That's getting games. MVP votes. That was the distance between him and the uh, second best pitcher in Major League Baseball. Not just the American League. All of Major League Baseball. And then... You factor in Walter Johnson was getting it done from the nine spot too. With the bat, he had 261 with a 726 OPS and 109 OPS plus. So he was 9% above average hitting and 159% above average pitching. Unreal. And uh, he won the MVP and as a result, won a Chalmers automobile as that was the MVP. That was what the MVP award was sponsored by it was the chalmers mvp award it lasted from 1911 to 1914 and then you know obviously the mvp award doesn't get doled out until the 20s after that everyone knows the story but now on to the how about that's of the 1913 season his 12 games with nine plus innings pitched seven plus strikeouts and less than seven base runners allowed remain the most such games in a season in the history of game logs 
That is since 1901. 1901. In the uh, 120-year history of game logs, uh, he has the most such games with nine-plus innings pitch, seven-plus strikeouts, less than seven base runners allowed in a season. His 10 games with a game score of 86 or better remain the most such games in a season in the history of game logs. It is also the only season in baseball history with 10 plus shutouts and a whip of less than 0.8. It is also the only season in baseball history with 35 plus wins, less than eight losses and an ERA below 1.5. It is also the only season in baseball history with 340 plus innings pitch 6.2 plus strikeouts per nine and one or fewer walks per nine. It is also the only season in baseball history with 340 plus innings pitch and a whip of less than 0.8. Also the only season in baseball history with 340 plus innings pitch and an ERA of less than 1.2. And lastly, it is the only season in baseball history with 340 plus innings pitch and an ERA plus of 250 or better. And his 1913 also has the most B-War by a pitcher in their age 25 season or younger. How about that? And actually, lastly, it, it has the, his 1913 has the most baseball reference wins above replacement in a modern era season that goes back to 1900. How about that? So an unbelievable season. The Senators did pretty well they went 90 and 64 but they finished second in the american league behind uh connie max philadelphia athletics can't even be mad at that yeah i mean it was uh it was the original a's dynasty yep that has to be very close to the most dominating season we've ever covered yeah just uh just about i mean like the only thing that comes to mind is one of those four bond seasons yeah, very, very true. Like, John, it, also, this is dominant because he did it from, from both sides. He was very good hitting the ball, too, which is pretty right. crazy, crazy to think. So now we look at the 1914 season of Walter Johnson, where he had quite the season to follow up. And he finished third in ERA with a 1.72, second in fifth with a 2.02, and second in ERA plus with a 164. He led the league in wins with 28, innings pitched with 371 and two-thirds, complete games with 33, shutouts with nine, strikeouts with 225, and a K-to-walk ratio of 3.0. He led the league in wins above replacement on both websites, but it couldn't get the Senators over the hump. They went 81-73 and and finished third in the American League. So now going on to 1915, Walter Johnson finished second in ERA with a 1.55. He led the league in wins with 27, Innings pitched with 336 and two-thirds. Complete games with 35. Shutouts with seven. Walks per nine with 1.5. Strikeouts with 203. Whip with an 0.93. K-to-walk ratio with a 3.6. FIP with a 191. And ERA plus also with a 191. He once again led wins above replacement on both websites. And the Senators went 85 and 68, finishing fourth in the American League. And this caps off a fantastic four-year run where Walter Johnson was clearly by definition the most dominant pitcher in the game at that point and his 
four seasons with 11 plus B war up to this point remain the most through a pitcher's age 27 season. Also, his 1910 and 1915 seasons are the only seasons in baseball history with 200 plus strikeouts, a whip of less than 0.95 and less than two home runs allowed. His 1913 and 1915 seasons are the only seasons in baseball history with 330 plus innings pitched, 200 plus strikeouts, less than 60 walks, and less than 260 hits allowed. How about that? Also, his four seasons from 1912 to 1915 with 330 plus innings pitched, five plus strikeouts per nine, and a whip of less than 0.95 remain the most such seasons in baseball history and no one else has more than two. How about that? Johnson had four. Also, his five seasons between 1910 and 1915 with 330-plus innings pitched, an ERA of less than 1.75, and a FIP of less than 2.1 remain the most such seasons in baseball history, and no one else has more than three. How about that? And his five seasons between... 1910 and 1915 with 330 plus innings pitched, five plus strikeouts per nine, and an ERA of less than 1.75 remain the most such seasons in baseball history. No one else has more than two. How about that? He has more than double those such seasons of the next best guy in that category. And that same stat applies with ERA plus with the ERA plus filter set at 160. So whether it's ERA of less than 1.75 or ERA plus of at least 160, you get the same result. So from 1912 to 1915, Johnson averaged a 31-12 record, just an average year in that four-year span, a 1.45 ERA, 1.97 FIP, 209 ERA plus, uh, shout out to Stockton, California, 4.0 strikeout to walk ratio, 356 innings pitched, 244 strikeouts, 33 complete games, 8 shutouts, and 12.8 B-War per year. If you do that in two seasons, you're a, you're a great pitcher. You're a fantastic pitcher. He had that in – that was his average, in, average for one season in this four-year span. And also from 1912 to 1915 – Walter Johnson led the league in strikeouts per nine, minimum 400 innings pitched. He also led the league in appearances, starts, wins, innings pitched, complete games, shutouts, strikeouts, ERA, FIP, B-War, and F-War. But I feel like most of those were givens. So now, uh, over the next two years, to go with the uh, big train puns, this won't be the last, but the big train goes on a bit of a bridge in 1916 and 1917. That's right. So... In 1916, Walter Johnson finished third in ERA with a 1.90 and third in ERA plus with a 147. He led the league in wins with 25, innings pitched with 369 and two-thirds, complete games with 36, strikeouts with 228, Ks per nine with 5.6, K to walk ratio with 2.8, and FIP with a 182. He led the league in wins above replacement on both websites once again, and it is the only season in baseball history with 225-plus strikeouts, a whip of less than 1.05, and zero home runs allowed. So even in this, you know, this bridge part of his career, we're still finding how about that. 
The Senators went 76 and 77, just under 500, finishing seventh in the AL. And now on to 1917, where Walter Johnson put up a 221 ERA, 1.98 FIP, and 120 ERA plus in 326 innings pitched. He finished third innings pitched on the year and led the league in case per nine with a 5.2, K to walk ratio with a 2.8, and FIP with a 1.98. And with the bat, he hit 254 with a 674 OPS. I know that doesn't sound good, but it is a 106 OPS plus. That means he was 6% above the average hitter while also being uh, a great pitcher as well. And he finished fourth in B war and led the league in F war, but the senators finished 74 and 79 fifth in the AL. And now we enter the final stages of the dead ball era. Uh, and Walter Johnson is ending that era correctly, and he's ending it on top, pretty much. Uh, in 1918, uh, after giving up four earned runs in his first start, over his next 20 appearances, also 14 starts after that first start, he put up a 0.57 ERA and 157 and a third innings pitched and threw six shutouts, six shutouts in 14 starts. And every start... He ended up making in that season was a complete game. Started everything that he finished or finished everything that he started in that 1918 season. I mean, same thing applies. Yeah, that's true. Very true. And he ended up finishing second in his innings pitched with 326 uh, innings pitched and second in FIP with a 2.03. He led the league in wins with 23, shutouts with eight. Strikeouts with 162, whip with a 0.95, ERA with a 1.27, and ERA plus with a 214. And he led the league in both B War and F War. And meanwhile, with the bat, killing it once again, hitting 267 with a 688 OPS and a 109 OPS plus. This is the guy you probably could have had as an everyday hitter, too. Just a guy in the in the bottom of the order, kind of unsuspecting. Johnson, uh, Johnson's 1918 is the only season by a pitcher in their age 30 season or older with 325 plus innings pitched, 4.4 plus strikeouts per nine, and an ERA plus of 200 or better. How about that? His 1918 is also the only season by a pitcher in their age 30 season or older with 325, 325 plus innings pitched and an ERA below 1.3. And his 1913 and 1918 seasons are the only seasons in baseball history with 326 plus innings pitched uh, and 46 or fewer earned runs allowed. How about that? And his 2,467 career strikeouts up to this point remain the most through a pitcher's age 30 season. And after the season was shortened a month for World War One, the Senators went 72 and 56, uh, which was in roughly uh, between 130 and 140 games, and finished third in the American League. So now on to the last year of the dead ball era. That's right. On opening day of 1919, Johnson threw a 13 inning shutout, which was his 80th career shutout, which passed Christy Mathewson his career mark to give Johnson the shutouts record. Uh, if only we had video for that. I'm sure it must've been awesome. Yeah. I couldn't even get the radio call. 
the Jumbotron was at a big sign that said Walter Johnson is now baseball's newest shutout leader with eight. Yeah, I remember the anticipation in the in the ballpark, you know, during those four extra innings, just the senators had so much pressure to score so that people could witness Walter Johnson's 80th shutout. Yeah, I mean like ESPN was right there. Like, so, I mean, everyone was there. MLB Network was there, Fox Sports, CBS Sports. Like, they were all right there. For yeah, over the, shutout. over the center field wall, there was, you know, the there was the 79. And, you know, they were looking to to unveil the the eight and the zero. Yeah. Amazing. Peter Gammons was there, too. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he, was only, uh, he was only 51 at that point. <laughs> Hey, we for the record, we love Peter Gammons. He's a great reporter and he's an absolute legend of the game. Yes. If you're listening, Peter, we love you. Yeah, we, we quoted him last player episode. Uh, he was uh, he was part of the Frank Robinson episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, he finished fourth in innings pitch with 290 in the third. He led the league in shutouts with seven, home or hits per nine with 7.3, strikeouts with 147, whip with a 0.99. K to walk ratio with a 2.9, FIP with a 2.07, ERA with a 1.49, and ERA plus with a 2.215. And once again, he led the league in wins above replacement on both websites. And now to sort of cap off the, the decade, to put it in, in perspective, uh, some more how about that's for Walter Johnson. His 1908, his 1908 and 1919 seasons are the only seasons in baseball history with 140 plus strikeouts, less than 60 walks, and zero home runs allowed. How about that? And he remains the only pitcher in baseball history to have 3,000 plus innings pitch and a FIP under two through his age 31 season. How about that? He also remains the only pitcher in baseball history to have 2,500 plus innings pitch and an ERA plus of 170 or better through his age 31 season How about that? and his 119.7 career pitcher B war remains the most through a pitcher's age 31 season. How about that? And the senators went 56 and 84 and finished seventh in the American league in 1919. And now uh, for the next four years, it's a different era and it's a different ERA also you know, little double, double entendre also spells out the word era. And, and you know, league adjusted different ERA plus as well uh, in the next four years for Walter Johnson. So now it is the start of the, the live ball era. And in 1920, this is a quote from Society for American Baseball Research. Walter's string of 20 win seasons was broken in 1920 when a combination of a bad cold, a sore arm, and a pulled leg muscle limited him to an 8-10 to 10 mark in only 21 appearances. So unfortunately, Walter Johnson uh, won his least amount of games um, at that point. And on May 14th, he collected his 300th career win, just his 13th year in the game. And on July, July 1st, he pitched six perfect innings against the Red Sox. And to lead off the seventh, uh, Harry Hooper, who was just 10 years removed from leaving the league in plate appearances, ended up reaching on an error. Tough. And after that, Johnson retired the final nine hitters with a no-hitter with no walks, no-hit batters, and 10 strikeouts. That damn, just like uh, just like Kershaw in 2014, that damn fielder. Exactly like it. 
Yeah. Was there 10 strikeouts in that one? Uh, I would I feel like there was 14. I, my, I want to say there's 14. Anyway, yeah. after that, after that July 1st start, he made two more starts on the year and didn't pitch after July 16th. But on the year, he ended up with a 3.13 ERA, 2.78 FIP, and a 119 ERA plus in 143 and two-thirds innings pitched. The Senators went 68 and 84, sixth in the American League. And in 1921, on September 10th, Walter Johnson recorded his 2,804th career strikeout, which passed Cy Young's mark, which giving Johnson the all-time record, which uh, a record he would hold for 62 years until Nolan Ryan, bro- Nolan Ryan broke it in 1983. You can hear more about that on uh, part one of episode 80. And Johnson put up a 3.51 ERA, 3.43 FIP, and 117 ERA plus in 264 innings in 1921. Finished eighth in ERA, third in FIP, and ninth in ERA plus. And he led the league in strikeouts with 143 and strikeouts per nine with 4.9. And he finished ninth in B War and seventh in F War. And the Senators went 80 and 73 and finished third in the American League. So now we're on to 1922, where Walter Johnson finished sixth in innings pitch with 280, 6th in ERA with a 2.99, 6th in FIP with a 3.77, and 6th in ERA plus with 130. He was in 6th across the board, but not in B-War because he was 7th there. And the Senators finished 69 and 85 with the 6th best record in the AL. So now on to July, or to uh, 1923. On July 8th, he made his... 3,000th career strikeout, becoming the first man to reach that plateau. And it would take 51 years for someone else to do so. So he was on another level of all other pitchers for the first 70 years of baseball. And he put up a 3.48 ERA, 3.45 FIP, and 109 ERA plus in 261 innings pitched. He finished eighth in innings pitched and fourth in FIP, Overall, eighth in F war, and the Senators went 75 and 78, finishing fourth in the AL. So, you know, not the uh, greatest years from Johnson, although he's still a very good pitcher. But in 1924, he's rejuvenated. He has a better team around him now, and uh, he has a lot more motivation heading into his late 30s. So, in 1924, Johnson actually planned. For 1924 to be his last season with plans to own a Pacific Coast League team uh, after that after that 1924 season. And on May 23rd, he threw a complete game shutout with one hit allowed, one walk, and 14 strikeouts. This game remains the only in the history of game logs by a pitcher 36 years and 195 days old or older with nine plus innings pitched, less than two hits allowed, less than two walks, and 14 plus strikeouts. Uh, shout out to Justin Verlander for being 36 years and 193 days old, while Walter Johnson was 36 years and 199 days old. Thank God. <laughs> Walter Johnson, he, he was older. It was, you know, more impressive. He was so much older. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, almost a full week. A lot can happen in a week. Literally. Uh, I mean, just look at the entire year of 2020. Yeah. I mean, come on. So, yeah, you know, Johnson was clearly – at a disadvantage compared to Verlander. Uh, entering August 10th of this 1924 season, the Senators were three games behind in the pennant race. And from that date moving forward, Walter Johnson went 10-1 and 
with a 2.13 ERA. You know, this is the this is the live ball era, so this is very impressive now. 2.13 ERA and 3.3 strikeout to walk ratio in 88 and two-thirds innings pitch. The Senators ended up going 92 and 62 and winning its first ever pennant. So after 18 years, Walter Johnson gets to go to his first ever World Series. See, guys, we don't need to freak out over the Angels wasting Mike Trout's prime. It took Walter Johnson 18 years. Yeah, 18 years. And he years. got there. Yeah, and it and there were only eight teams in the American League. Yeah, yeah, come on. Pump, pump the brakes here. The Angels will be fine, right? It's only yeah. a little sarcastic. Yeah, I can't wait for – I can't wait until 2026 when uh, Mike Trout gets – in the 16-team playoff format, Mike Trout gets uh, eight plate appearances in the playoffs. It'll be yeah. it'll be fantastic. Everyone will be really excited. Uh, Johnson, in 1924, ended up finishing sixth in innings pitch with 277 and two-thirds innings pitch. And uh, he led the league in most of the relevant categories. Led the league in wins with 23, winning percentage with a 767, shutouts with six, hits per nine with 7.6, Strikeouts with 158, whip with a 1.12, strikeouts per nine with 5.1, strikeout to walk ratio with a 2.1, FIP with a 3.31, ERA with a 2.72, and ERA plus with a 149. And he finished third in B War and second in F War. And Walter Johnson won his second MVP. And uh, actually, you know, sort of a how about that. I didn't research before, but I would assume he's the only pitcher to win multiple MVPs. Uh, I, I don't recall anyone yeah. being able to do it. There's got to be. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's do a little quick live check on the how about that. Uh, pitchers to win multiple MVPs. Um, it, oh no, he's joined by Carl Hubble and Hal Newhauser, I believe. Classic Carl Hubble. Uh, Carl Hubble of the New York Giants and Hal Newhauser of, of the, the Detroit Tigers. Of the Detroit Tigers in the oh. mid 40s. Yeah. You know, everyone was at war, but Hal Newhauser was putting up like 1.9 FIPS. Can we give? Can we label those as Mickey Mouse MVPs? Um, for Newhauser, I mean, everyone was at war. Like half the league was gone. Yeah, two MVPs for Newhauser. Fact fact check here. Yeah, I mean, um, it is funny because the offensive stats went down significantly between 1943 and 1945. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, all the Ed Williams all the, alone would have like brought that up by like ten points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got Williams is gone, DiMaggio's gone, Johnny Mize is gone, uh, everyone, everyone's gone. Hank Greenberg was gone. Hank Green. He was yeah, also Hank, like kind of yeah. Greenberg was gone. Yeah, he uh I think he won yeah, he won the MVP in 1940 and then he and then he left. Yep. Um so yeah, he would have made an impact. But anyway, Walter Johnson is finally in the World Series. And in game 1, Johnson had allowed only 2 runs through 9 innings, but the Senators were still down uh 2 to 1 in the ninth inning. But the Senators tied it in the ninth, and Johnson did not allow a run in the 10th and 11th, but neither did the New York Giants. And in the 12th, Johnson loaded the bases without getting an out. Uh, then, you know, loaded the bases without getting an out. Then Frankie Frisch grounded into a four-seven home. Uh, 
but the batter after him singled to drive in a run and following him was high pockets kelly a classic classic hall of famer who hit an rbi fly out to make it a four to two uh ball game with the giants up and the senators scored a run in the bottom of the inning but ended up losing game one by the score of four to three so the senators won game two of that series lost game three but then won game four and in game five with that series tied Johnson allowed three runs through his first seven innings, then allowed three runs to unearned uh, in the bottom of the eighth to make it six to two Giants, which was the score that they ended up winning by. But the Senators won game six, forcing a game seven. And Johnson did not get the game seven start, but the Senators tied the game in the bottom of the eighth, and Johnson came in for the top of the ninth. And in the in the ninth, after giving up a one-out triple to Frankie Frisch and intentionally walking Ross Youngs, he struck out High Pockets Kelly, then forced a ground out for the final out of the inning without allowing a run. In the bottom of the inning, the Senators got runners, runners on the corners with one out also, but they grounded out into a double play to end the inning, so now they're on to extra innings. In the 10th, after walking Hack Wilson, Johnson struck out Travis Jackson then forced a ground ball double play to end the inning. The Senators, meanwhile, went 1-2-3 in the bottom of the 10th. Then in the 11th, Johnson allowed the leadoff hitter to single, then get bunted over to second on a sacrifice from the following batter. Then with a man on, with a man on second and one out, he struck out Frankie Frisch, intentionally walked Ross Youngs, then struck out High Pockets Kelly to end the inning and keep the game tied. And in the bottom of the inning... The Senators got a man on in scoring position with two outs, but did not capitalize. So Johnson had to go out for a fourth inning in relief on one day's rest. And in the 12th, Johnson allowed a leadoff single, but did not allow him to move uh, when he retired the final three batters of the inning. So another scoreless inning from Johnson. And in the bottom of the 12th, Muddy Rule doubled with one man out. Then Walter Johnson himself reached on an error, and then Earl McNeely hit a walk-off double to make Walter Johnson a World Series champion. Let's go. There we go. It's what we've all been waiting for. He did everything in his career except win that World Series, and he, he finally did it. And he earned it. Throughout the series, Johnson put up a 3.00 ERA through 24 innings pitched. And after 1924, his potential purchase of the Pacific Coast League team he was interested in fell through, and he decided to return to the Senators. So Walter Johnson is finally a World Series champion, and he's got to follow it up in 1925. And he did so by posting a 3.07 ERA, a 3.68 FIP, 138 ERA plus, and 229 innings pitched on the year. He finished fourth in ERA and fourth in ERA plus, but he led the league in K to walk ratio with 1.4 and fifth with 3.68. He finished 10th in B war and fifth in F war. And with the bat, he hit 433 with a 1033 OPS and 163 OPS plus. And uh, as you can imagine, his 433 average is considered a record for pitchers. So he went, he actually, you could argue he had a better, uh, he actually had a better year with the bat than he did with the, on the mound because he had a 163 OPS plus and 138 ERA plus. Yeah, that's a good evaluation. And the Senators won the pennant once again 
on the brink of their 96 and 55 record. So now in the World Series, in game one, Walter Johnson earned a complete game victory with a four to one win over the Pirates, but the Senators lost game two and won game three. So it was now two to one Senators heading into game four. And in game four, the Senators uh, ended up going up three one in the series after Johnson threw a complete game in a four nothing victory. But the Senators lost games five and six, setting up a game seven. And regarding game seven, this is a quote from Society for American Baseball Research. It was a great day for water polo, quipped New York Times sports writer James R. Harrison. On Thursday, October 15th, the Pittsburgh Pirates and Washington Nationals met. Hold up a second. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, this is from Society for American Baseball Research. They're calling them the Nationals. So we'll just, we'll just go with it. With, I guess, with even though Baseball Reference says they were the Senators until... I mean, they, they were they were the senators. Maybe until that, they left for a minute, they were the senators when Sandy Koufax was pitching against them. Yeah, like is that correct? Or were they the twins then? No, they were the twins. But the okay. yeah, this but the senators also were revamped to start the Rangers franchise. Yeah, like, yeah, they were the senators for a while, but maybe it was just a nickname or something. I don't know. Anyway, quote on Thursday, October thir- October fifteenth. The Pittsburgh Pirates and Washington Nationals met in horrific weather conditions to play Game 7 of the 1925 World Series. And when Game 7 had concluded, it was considered, quote, the wettest, weirdest, and wildest game ever seen. The Senators were up 6-4 to four entering the bottom of the 7th. And this is another quote from Society for American Baseball Research. Quote, by the 7th inning, the steady rain began, became a downpour. The skies grew even darker and visibility became worse. With the Pirates still trailing 6-4, to four, the fans stood and cheered during the seventh inning stretch and remained standing when Eddie Moore came to the plate to lead off for the Pirates' seventh. The second baseman hit a routine pop, pop fly that Senator shortstop Roger Peckinpah camped under. It was the kind of ball Peckinpah had caught 999 out of 1,000 times, wrote Hugh Fullerton. This time, he let it slip through his fingers. Moore made, made it all the way to second base on the misplay. Carey followed with a fly ball down the left field line. Washington left fielder Gosselin drifted far to his right. He got his hands on the ball and was unable to hold it. Moore scored and Carey went all the way to second base. The Nats immediately protested, claiming the drive to be foul. And Johnson ended up giving up two unearned runs to tie the game. And Peckinpah redeemed himself in the top of the eighth with a solo home run to make it 7-6. to six. In the bottom of the inning, Johnson retired the first two batters and then allowed a double to tie the game. And then Peckinpah had another ref play from Society for American Baseball Research. Quote, the next batter, Carey, grounded directly to Peckinpah, who was unable to handle the wet ball. He then reached on for the ball, but let it slip out of his hands. Now too late to get the speedy Carey heading to first, the Washington shortstop threw to second base, but the throw was too high. Bucky Harris, covering second on the play, leaped into the air and came down too late to force the runner. And Johnson ended up allowing two more unearned runs to give the Pirates a 9-7 lead. Johnson ended up getting the loss after nine runs scored, not after nine runs allowed, five of them being earned, and eight innings pitched. And throughout the series, he put up a 208 ERA and 26 innings pitched. So some wet, some wet baseball uh, costs the Senators a second World Series in as many years. Yeah, in, in my uh, you know, baseball time machine that's referenced a lot in starting nine this might be one of the destinations i go to 
Absolutely. I would go up to the commissioner's office and be like, hey, do not play this game out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You play uh you you play the like time cop. You're yeah, like, wait it, wait it, wait till tomorrow. We'll have nicer weather and we'll be able to play in fair conditions. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, we're gonna see the usually reliable Roger Peckinpah yeah. just making all kinds of mistakes. It's not gonna go well. Uh, can we can we label this as the Mickey Mouse World Series that the Pirates won? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean that's that's just ridiculous. But yeah. to be fair, I don't, maybe not though, because you know what, the Pirates are playing in the same conditions. That is that is true. So maybe maybe I'll hold off on that. It but is either way, same conditions for everyone. Yeah, either way, I mean the game should be played the way it's meant to be played under a bright blue sky, no clouds. In, uh, in Arlington. Yeah, with a roof. They should all be. They should all be in uh in Arlington now. Um. So now, uh, this this era is a uh, another pun. Uh, the big train is pulling in, into the station, 1926 and 1927. It's the later years of his career. It's about to end. And uh, on opening day of 1926, he threw a 15 inning complete game shutout. This remains the only game by a pitcher 38 or older with 15 plus innings pitched and no runs allowed. How about that? And on April 27th, he earned his 400th career win, becoming the second pitcher to reach that mark. He also put up a 3.63 ERA, 3.50 FIP, and 107 ERA plus in 260 and two-thirds innings pitched. And he finished fourth in innings pitch and ninth in FIP and finished seventh in B-War and fifth in F-War. Uh, the Senators did not repeat, did not three-peat as American League champions. They went 81 and 69 and finished fourth in the American League. And in 1927, Johnson did not appear until the Senators' 37th game, uh, which ironically enough, he threw a complete game shutout in his first game of his last season. However, he put up a 5.10 ERA and 80 ERA plus in 107 and two-thirds innings pitch and retired at the season's end. And now we're into his post-career. Yeah. So in 1936, he was inducted into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame's inaugural class. He was there with Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, Christy Mathewson, and uh, ARR history alum Hannes Wagner. In 1938, he was elected to the commissioner of Montgomery County in Maryland, and he was a broadcaster for the Senators in 1939. And in 1940, he also made an unsuccessful run for Congress. But you know what? Unsuccessful or successful, it's still rather impressive. Yeah. And in his later years, uh, he kept busy on his farm. He was a Kansas boy after all. And he also made some brief appearances in games that promoted war bonds, which was highlighted by appearances against a retired Babe Ruth in Yankee Stadium. After an illness of several months from, um, from a brain tumor, Walter Johnson died on December 10th, 1946, at the age of 59 years old. So now we get into his all-time ranks. His seven times leading the league in shutouts are tied for the most such times in baseball history. And his nine times leading the league in fifth are tied for the most of such times in baseball history. His 12 times leading the league in strikeouts are the most such times in baseball history. He is 12th in career ERA with a 2.17, 11th in whip with a 1.06, 
ninth in strikeouts with a with 3509 and seventh in ERA plus with a 147. He is fifth in complete games with a 531, third in innings pitched with 5914 and a third, second in wins with 417, first in shutouts with 110. And he is second in pitcher B war, second in total B war and third in F war in pitcher F war. So now for the last player edition of How about that? the official segment where we go over the, uh, the career marks and there's a lot of them for Walter Johnson. He had seven seasons with 10 plus B war. No one else in baseball history has had more than five such seasons. He had 11 seasons with six-plus shutouts. No one else in baseball history has had more than eight such seasons. How about that? He had seven seasons with 325-plus innings pitched and an ERA of less than two. No one else in baseball history has had more than four such seasons. How about that? He also had eight seasons with 325-plus innings pitched and a FIP of less than 2.1. No one else in baseball history has had more than three such seasons. How about that? He almost had triple the amount of the next best guy. And he had six seasons with 330-plus innings pitched, 5.4-plus strikeouts per nine, and less than two walks per nine. No one else in baseball history has had more than two such seasons. How about that? And lastly... For the seasons marks, he had four seasons with 290 plus innings pitched and an ERA plus of 200 or better. No one else in baseball history has more than one such season. How about that? And he is the only pitcher in baseball history with 5,500 plus innings pitched and five plus strikeouts for nine. He is also the only pitcher in baseball history with 5,000 plus innings pitched and an ERA below 2.2. And lastly, he is the only pitcher in baseball history with 4,000 plus innings pitched and an ERA plus of 145 or better. How about that? So just pure. It's the last player. How about that? Yes. And uh, I mean, it was you didn't have to dig too deep on the on the career marks no, there. You weren't you weren't grasping at straws at, at all. Yeah, no, not not really. Pretty pretty easy work on the uh, on on this one. And uh, yeah, for for Walter Johnson's legacy, you know, there's really not much to say that the that the numbers don't say. He was the most dominant pitcher of his era. Uh, he also, you know, I guess what's a little less known is he played key roles in two of the most intense game sevens ever. Yeah. I can't can't imagine if those were like, if those types of games were played in uh, today's day, how exciting it would be, you know, how much people would be talking about how it's like, imagine if, imagine if game seven of the 2014 world series went into 13 innings and mad bum pitched all of it. That's like how Walter Johnson's 1924 world series appearance was. Yeah. And he, and like there were, you know, six situations with runners in scoring position and he just got out of all of them. Yeah. Like th- that type of intensity. Yeah. It was like, it would be like uh, sort of like the 1991 world series and how that went where there was 
just you know no one was scoring but yeah the intensity of it being in extra innings made it all the more great and you know him being the greatest pitcher of his era finally getting his time even though he was 36 that would have been a crazy storyline so yeah and you know obviously it you know you don't hear about it because it was never televised or there there probably wasn't even a radio call understandably so but you know this is what you learn about and it's uh, pretty wild the games that he played in in the world series and maybe you know you could make the argument easily that he's statistically the greatest pitcher of all time with his amount of innings and his run prevention along with you know a 2.17 ERA is is crazy but even you know he played eight years in the live ball era too so it's pretty crazy to sustain that and you know league adjusted ERA he was 47 percent above the average pitcher which is very unusual to do in a over a career yeah he was you know he was seventh among qualifying pitchers in ERA plus and he had way more innings than than everyone ahead of him so you could make the solid argument that statistically the greatest pitcher of all time I personally uh, took him fifth overall in our all-time draft um, because of these uh, because of these facts so in a way this was kind of a persuasive essay on why it was the correct choice to take him yeah. uh, with my first overall pick and one thing I would also say about him is that he was really the first great strikeout heavy pitcher of all time as well I mean, like, he was most certainly not the first great pitcher because you go into the 1884 season, you discover there are actually 37 great pitchers that season alone. But strikeouts were very down, just like they were throughout Walter Johnson's time. But he was consistently putting up, like, six, seven, eight strikeouts per nine seasons, which, you know, that sounds like nothing now. But it was revolutionary back, you know, at the start of the live ball era. Yeah, and, like, there would be random seasons where – to hit those strikeouts per nine mark, but no one was doing it consecutively and no. consistently the way Walter Johnson was. Exactly. Like, you know, old Haas, who we love talking about, he had his great 1884 where he strikes out 441 batters, but, you know, he didn't have any seasons, any seasons similar to that. Like, and also that was in 613 innings pitch, I think. Yeah, or even even more than that, I think. And like, yeah, Walter Johnson. Walter Johnson was, you know, in his age 22 season, I think, put up, yeah, 313 strikeouts in less less than 400 innings, um, which was just, yeah, absolutely unheard of. And, yeah, doing it consistently. No one's led in – no one's led the league in strikeouts more than Walter Johnson did. Like, he was doing it dominantly, even – he was leading in strikeouts even into his late 30s. Like sure. when the strikeout numbers were going down, it was still better than everybody else. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's kind of all I got. Yeah. So that's the, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of numbers being thrown at you. That's what we do with the dead ball air guys. We don't have any, any video for anybody. Yeah. And we don't have like anyone's really personal experience. Yeah. Not, not a lot. Uh, the, the wiser story was, Awesome. For me. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that one, that one obviously hits close to home for us, even though we are absolutely nowhere near the state of Idaho. Yeah. We, we, at some point I gotta, you know, we gotta go there. I was gonna say, we need to take a road trip to wiser Idaho and just appreciate the Walter Johnson presence. 
it's probably not that much different now than it was in 1907. I mean, they loved him. Yeah. <laughs> they, they probably have something dedicated to him still. He was like a 19-year-old kid. They were like, please stay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give you ownership of a cigar store. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's like, that's serious in 1919. That's like if someone today was like, we'll give you a t- like a tech store. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, imagine like, I don't know, uh, like, ten, like uh, the wh- wherever Vanderbilt is, they're like, hey, Kumar, we'll give you a, we'll give you an Apple store. Yeah. If you, stay, if you stay around here in this area, just play for like a minor league team here. Yeah, it's, I mean, that is like, I don't think I've ever heard a story like that in baseball outside of like, you know, like regular free agency. Yeah. This, yeah. The first time we've covered something like this, uh, where he has like a meet and greet before leaving as a 19 year old. The only thing I can think of is like when Shohei Otani was coming over to America and he threw like a last pitch in Japan with a crowd there. But even then, like, I don't know if there's much people in, in Japan, like pleading for him to stay. Like, I think the general consensus was like, yeah, he's going to go to America, but we'll still be watching. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, there, I guess, there. you know, there is no way for the people of Idaho, like pe- people in Wiser were wondering how to get out of Wiser, Idaho, never mind, you know, going cross country. Yeah, that, so that was a pretty funny anecdote of, of the, uh, of the Walter Johnson experience. But yeah, no one to pick. No one to pick, no selections, no preview. No, uh, no reveal here. Feels wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed the Walter Johnson episode, the finale for the players of the history series. It's, it's finally done. Uh, but it's you, not completely done. We still got one more. Yeah, the, the players are over, and we got one more, one more out mm-hmm. to get. So we hope you enjoyed the Walter Johnson episode. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, and want to watch us discuss Walter Johnson, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio. And uh, I'm going to put the, we're going to put the, the playlist of players in chronology from Hannes Wagner to Albert Pujols. So that'll be a fun way to experience the show. And uh, we'll do that next week with the teams as well. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio. And we hope you enjoyed the Walter Johnson episode. And we hope to see you on t- Tuesday where we will be doing a predictions episode for the 2021 baseball season. And next Thursday for the finale of the history series uh opening day that will be coming out uh where we're going to be discussing the 2002 anaheim angels see you then